0: Have a Bible. Let me invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter eleven. Tonight we close out our study of this chapter, Hebrews eleven, beginning of verse thirty-two through forty. It's on page one thousand and eight on the black uh, in the black pew Bible before you. The writer in this passage recounts one triumph after another and one trouble after another accomplished or endured by faith by faith in God trusting in God the writer here doesn't want us to have any uh, misunderstanding misinformation about the Christian life some of you may be Charlie Brown fans Charlie Brown was talking with Lucy one time when she was discouraged and Charlie Brown told her life has its ups and downs she didn't particularly like that she said but why why should it why can't my life be all ups if I want all ups why can't I have them why can't I just move from one up to another up why can't I just go from an up to an upper up I don't want any downs I just want ups and ups and ups and ups Some people think that the Christian life is like that or should be like that. The writer here is very careful to tell us because he wants us, end of Hebrews 10, to endure to the end, to persevere in faith to the end, just like all that he's mentioned here in Hebrews 11. He wants us to know the whole truth about the Christian life. And so he wants us to see, and I'm going to highlight three things as the passage unfolds very clearly. At verse 32, he speaks of the successes of faith. Middle of verse 35, he turns to the sufferings of faith. In verses 39 through 40, he speaks of the whole society of faith. So let me invite you to pay attention to God's word and to learn, perhaps, to be helped as you face your own successes and sufferings of faith. This is the word of God, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained Promises stop the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong. Out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Amen. This is the Word of God. May He write it on our hearts. Let's look to Him in prayer. Father in heaven, we know that the grass withers and the flowers fade because the breath of the Lord blows on them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. And surely the people are grass. So you know our frailty. Come and give strength to us to walk with you in faith and trust. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to think first in verses 32 to the first half of 35 of the uncommon successes of faith. That's part of the truth of the Christian life, the uncommon successes of faith. He says, he begins here, I I can't go on. I'm running out of time. It's late. And and I've already told you about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and uh, Isaac and Joseph and Moses and the Israelites and Rahab. I just don't have time, also, to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. I mean, we could just keep going, and 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 it would take too much space and time. And so he summarizes what they did, and uh, notice the kinds of things he says: these who had faith did, verse thirty-three, who faith, who by faith conquered. Kingdoms, He says they did dramatic and amazing things against other nations by God's good providence. They established justice where there was none. You think of David and the other godly kings who did that sort of thing. He has that in mind. But notice also the end of uh, verse uh, 30. I think it's three. They stopped the mouths of lions. Now that's no small deal. And immediately, perhaps, you thought of Daniel, but you might also think of Judges chapter 14 with Samson when a young lion came rushing uh, toward him, roaring. It says the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. I'm not sure... What that last phrase means, but he did it barehandedly through faith in God. Now, of course, you do think of uh, Daniel 6 when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, but he prayed to the God of heaven, and he was sent there because he prayed to the God of heaven and not to King Darius. And so he was thrown in, but Daniel was kept safe, and the king decreed. On account of that, that everyone ought to fear the God of Israel. Now he goes on to speak in verse 34 of those who by faith quenched the fury of fire. Thinking of Daniel takes you to Daniel chapter 3 where Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who spoke boldly to King Nebuchadnezzar telling him, quote, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods and worship the golden image that you have set up. Notice their faith. What whether God saves us or not in this earthly trial will trust him and God did save them and they were thrown into the fire and there were four that appeared walking untouched by those flames he mentions and speaks of those who were made strong though they were weak and maybe your mind thinks of Gideon in Judges chapter 7 where he had an army of 10,000 assembled and the Lord whittled it down on purpose to an army of but 300 just to keep Israel from boasting and saying, quote, "My own hand has saved me." No no no. He whittled them down and then he was their strength in weakness to show that he saved them, that their most their boast might be in him, God's strength of the weak. And then it mentions, notice here verse 35, it mentions women received back, they're dead. What's that referred to? Well, first Kings chapter seventeen, second Kings chapter four, two accounts. One, the first, first Kings seventeen, the widow whose son had died, and then through the prayers of Elijah the prophet, the son was restored to her. And in second Kings chapter four, in this case a wealthy woman whose child had died, and Elisha the prophet prayed and interceded, and the Lord restored the child to her. So, so there you have uh, some of the, the uncommon successes of faith. I mean, these aren't everyday occurrences in the life of the people of God or even of any individual believer, no, but they are spectacular achievements and successes and accomplished through faith, trusting in God. God does do mighty and spectacular and amazing things on behalf of his people. And he hasn't quit doing mighty and spectacular and amazing things. We might call them uh, extraordinary providences. But he works on behalf of his people. And the writer wants us to remember that's part of the Christian life. Remembering this and delighting in it sometimes in our own experience sickness hits Uh, maybe we're hospitalized and what do we do we pray we trust the Lord we call our Christian friends we we tell the church we pray and we trust and then God sometimes suddenly heals and the doctors say it's like a miracle we didn't expect that what did God do he worked powerfully for his people sometimes finances are tight and we pray and we trust the Lord and the oil in the kitchen doesn't run out and the gas in the car just seems to last we don't know how that is or our teenagers ask for the keys and we pray and we trust God and they walk away unscathed from vehicles totaled in car crashes three of our teenagers at least in the last few months that I can think of totaled vehicles walking away we trust God with where we live and then trees fall into our bedrooms but we've moved on and the next family hasn't yet moved in and then JBU fixes the apartment complex it doesn't happen every day but God does this kind of uh, amazing and extraordinary provision and protection behalf of his people and there are moral and spiritual successes too of course I I told you if you were here last week about William Thomas once known by the infamous name um, Staffordshire Bill William Thomas had this uh, terrible foul blasphemous mouth and he still had it after he was brought to faith in Christ, the words would come out, and then he, he wanted to get them back, and he just he didn't get them reined in in time, and he and then he would be stricken afterwards with shame and dismay, and he was in despair about this foul mouth coming from a heart that for seventy years had shaped his speech, a filthy heart, and so he was miserable over the problem. And one morning he was getting up, and he was getting his clothes, and he couldn't find his socks, and he went to the door. And he shouted down to his wife, I can't find my blank socks. Where are the blank things? He heard himself speak, and he fell backwards onto the bed in great horror. And he cried out, Oh Lord, cleanse my tongue. Oh Lord, I can't ask for a pair of socks without swearing. Please have mercy on me and give me a clean tongue. And as he lay there, as he got up, God had done for a 70-year-old man what he couldn't do for himself. And he was, by his account, instantaneously delivered from the bonds of that bad habit. Now, praise the Lord. And we might caution and ask Does God always deal with his people about their sins that way? Give instantaneous deliverance? Well, no. He doesn't always use the same method. And sometimes in wanting to mature us, he actually shows us the depth of our sin to drive us to despair, to flee to Christ and the help there is in the gospel for fighting sin. And there's a war. But sometimes people find a sudden newness of freedom because God sometimes deals with us that way in answer to the trust of His people. It's part of the truth of the Christian life, the uncommon successes of faith. And so let's think about a few applications. Where does that leave us? We should call upon God for the movement of his spirit and of his power for us in the face of our needs and in the face of the needs of one another by faith they conquered kingdoms that's part of the truth we should call upon this God who does that to help one another to be helped by him and so you might ask is there somebody you know who has a hard heart perhaps who's callous to the gospel who who Um, who won't listen to the pleas of those who love them, of fellow believers, I mean other believers or or preachers of the gospel, and they are just hard-hearted about Jesus. What do we do? First, trust the God who sent His Son to save the chief of sinners. So don't write them off. Trust the Lord to do what He can do and pray pray that in his mercy and in his might he would crush the hard heart and give a new heart that he would take people out of the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of his beloved son because god is still in the business of conquering kingdoms the gates of hell will not prevail against jesus god hasn't stopped working mightily on behalf of his people Now, the second thing you need to see if you're going to know the whole truth about the Christian life is this. We also need to know about the candid sufferings of faith. Verses 35, the middle of it, through to verse 38. He really turns a corner here to all these difficulties, terrible things. Some were tortured, he says. So stop right there before we even walk through the list and just reflect. Pay close attention. Don't get the wrong idea. We love the stories of the successes in part because our culture loves success. We love victory. We love triumph. We want to be on the winning side, right, in every battle. But if we think that if we trust God, things will always work out well, then we may be devastated when trouble comes our way because suffering and not just success is part of the truth about the Christian life. He just mentioned some women who received back their dead by resurrection. Did you see that? Uh, Middle of verse 35. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. So he speaks of torture. They were unwilling, it seems is what he's saying here, to accept release from their suffering. Because they were unwilling to deny their faith in Jesus to get that relief. They wouldn't deny their faith in Jesus. They would rather suffer even unto death in order, it says, to obtain the better resurrection at the last day. He may actually have in mind here, as many commentators point out, an episode that took place in the life of the people of God before Jesus came, which is recorded in 2 Maccabees. It happened about in the mid-160s, before Jesus where there was a family of seven sons and a mother and this may be tough to hear but we should hear it Uh, the writer doesn't pull his punches they were being forced by the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes to eat swine flesh as part of uh, sacrifice the king would would bring uh, prominent families into the public square and then require them to disobey their god And so here's this mother with seven sons brought into the public square, these Israelites, uh, and they refused to eat the pig's flesh. And so Antiochus Epiphanes was so enraged, he ordered his men to heat the cauldrons and the pans. And then he said, after the first son refused, he said, cut out his tongue, scalp him, cut off his hands and feet, And while he breathes, throw him on the pan and fry him in the presence of his family. And they did. They killed the first that way. And they killed the second that way. And they killed the third that way. And they killed the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh that way. All were murdered refusing to recant their faith in the God of Israel, one even shouting, take my limbs, take my tongue, I'll receive them again in the resurrection. The mother in this story, you can read it in 2 Maccabees, encouraged them saying, it was not I who gave you life and breath, it was the creator of the world who devised the origin of all things and who will in his mercy give life and breath back to you since you now forget yourself for his sake and so every one of them died bravely it was a teenage boy who said take my limbs take my tongue cut them off I got them from God and for God's sake I will give them up because God himself will give them back to me at the resurrection teenage boy that's what he may be referring to here at the end of verse 35 and I, I, I don't apologize for uh, that story, as gruesome as it is. We, ourselves here, live very safe lives. But it is the case that hundreds of thousands of our brothers and sisters around the world in our generation are one step away from just that kind of thing in some nations in this world and so he speaks of the sufferings of faith if you live by faith that may be your experience faith does not grant you immunity from distress God in his kindness and care may not bring you out of the miseries of this life but bring you through them into the life which is to come. And so that's part of the whole truth about the Christian life. And other believers since the time of the Bible have encountered this thing too. And, and we have a varied experience in the same generation. In, in Scotland, uh, back in the 1680s, I've told you about the Scottish Covenanters before. You can read about it in Fair Sunshine. There was a lot of suffering by Reformed Christians. John Welsh... In sixteen sixty two was kicked out of his parish. He was the pastor. He was forbidden to preach or speak there, but he went and did it anyway, out in the fields and on the mountain tops and in the valleys and he would sometimes even come back to his parish and preach in the fields. He baptized their children. edicts passed against him, put his life up for grabs a, a price of five hundred pounds, which was a lot of money then was placed on his head, and yet he had these remarkable and continuing escapes from danger for 20 years. He preached on the mountains of Scotland in the open air, kept out of his enemies' hands by the providence and protection of God. One time, he went out on the river Tweed that separated England from Scotland when it was frozen, as if, perhaps, to dare Will it be England who will arrest me for preaching the gospel? Or will it be Scotland who will arrest me for preaching the gospel? And yet he died in his bed in London in 1681. These uncommon successes of faith in his generation. And yet it wasn't the normal way. Because these were the killing times as they are called. And and there was a guy named John Brown. Not our John Brown, John Brown of Priest Hill. He was a kind of small group Bible study leader, and uh, the Claverhouse, the Claverhouse, and his his uh, dragoons, his his soldiers, his his uh, I don't know if they were. I think the mounted uh, army found him, and they were going to execute him. And uh, they told him, "Say goodbye to your wife and your children, John." The wife stood by, clutching their baby to her breast, and. Claverhouse commanded six of his men to shoot John Brown and all did most striking his head scattering his brains and he dropped where he was and Claverhouse turned to his widow and said what do you think of your husband now and then he got on his horse and he rode away and Isabel Brown gathered up the brains of her husband pulled things back together tied them up put her plaid over him and sat down with her infant and wept two men same generation preaching the same gospel two very different experiences both living by faith in the Lord one is marvelously delivered time and again and the other dies the cruelest kinds of deaths and so several observations before we turn the corner to the end first as my old seminary professor put it we can be thankful for the realism of the bible it tells it to us like it is it doesn't sugarcoat it doesn't hide things from you it tells you that by faith people conquered kingdoms and by faith Others were tortured. And it's realistic about that. And so you ought to, as he says, Ralph Davis, ought to be able to trust the one who stands behind this book. We may not always enjoy what it says, but he doesn't feed us a line. Second, we've got to realize the emptiness and the shallowness of the feel good health wealth prosperity gospel movement it is absurd to say that Jesus only and always wants in this life your health and wealth and prosperity and that's what he'll give you if you just have enough faith that isn't so their faith is not condemned it is not criticized they are commended beginning of verse 39 for their faith and yet this is what they experienced third Trouble and suffering may reveal if our faith is not in God, but in our agenda for God, says Rico Tice. Faith may reveal our faith is not in God, but in our agenda for God. We may discover that we've been treating God like a waiter who delivers what we want. We may be saying to ourselves, I prayed, I trusted the Lord, He didn't come through for me. We may be saying to ourselves, He failed me and now I'm angry at Him. In which case, it could just be that you weren't trusting Him at all. You were trusting in your agenda for Him, for you. You may be saying, I didn't get the wife I wanted, or the husband I wanted, or the children, or the job, or the raise, or the promotion. I didn't get the health and the wealth. Well, listen to what the writer is saying. What's normal? Suffering is normal. There's no deficiency in their faith. God was not unpleased with them. Ralph Davis, again, suffering is not the absence of faith, but the cost of faith. It's a mark of strong faith. Not whether we are delivered from our difficulties, but whether we are faithful through our difficulties, says Rico Tice. And so, closing out this section, how do you face suffering? How does a mother say to her sons, hold fast, keep confessing the faith, though they cut out your tongue." Verse 35 again. How did they do it? To gain a better resurrection. Did you see that language there? As wonderful as it was for the widows in the Old Testament to get their children back. What those things were ultimately is a kind of resuscitation as opposed to resurrection to everlasting life. They were temporary. Like Lazarus who will be brought back but not permanently in a glorified everlasting body, but temporarily all subject again to disease, suffering, and death. These mothers put their faith in the Lord, and here these endured suffering for the sake of a better resurrection, looking forward to when death itself would be undone and the body would be raised for everlasting life. And so they endured this suffering in light of that future. The Apostle Paul, perhaps you think, reminds you um, that as he says, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that cannot be compared. Now, I don't say that lightly at all, but the Apostle Paul was was beaten, left for dead, tortured, had his back stripped. He suffered constantly for Jesus and the church. And he looks back and he says, these are, by comparison to everlasting life, like momentary, Sufferings. It, that is to say, a thousand years from now, when we're all gathered around the throne of Jesus with limbs intact, with no disease, no sorrow, no suffering, we'll look back and have that perspective. May we begin to have that perspective now as we face the sufferings of faith. So you see those. Two things, both the uncommon successes as well as the candid sufferings. But finally, you see, in verses thirty-nine to forty. One last thing about the Christian life, the truth about it. And you see here the communion of the society of faith. Notice at verse thirty-nine, he says, "All these—that is, these old, these Old Testament believers, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised." Again, he says, "They received the promises." But they didn't receive what was promised. Not all that was promised. And there was nothing wrong with their faith in that. That they didn't receive the fullness of everything that God had promised. Since God, he says, had something better promised. For us. For all of us. Together, he says. The communion of saints. Old and new. God promised something better for us. What? He promised the whole accomplishment and application of the fullness of redemption to us. Those Old Testament believers lived in anticipation of the accomplishment of redemption, they lived in anticipation of the coming of Jesus. We look back upon the accomplishment of our redemption in that Jesus has suffered, died, and been raised from the dead above all things so that nothing more needs to be done for you to be forgiven for your sins. Nothing more needs to be done for you to be made right with God. That comes simply through receiving and resting on Jesus alone for your salvation. But, though they anticipated redemption and though we rejoice in the accomplishment of redemption, we have not yet had the full application of redemption to our experience nothing more needs to be done for you to be saved but there is more coming when he returns in glory and you are raised from the dead bodily reunited to a soul made perfect forever in the enjoyment of the new heavens and the new earth and what was God's purpose in all of this then verse end of verse 40 that apart from us they should not be made perfect. That apart from our being invited into that and brought home to that, they should not yet have that. Not yet enjoy that. So that there would be but one people of God throughout all the generations, one people of God living forever together with God. Not just redeeming isolated individuals, but redeeming a whole society in communion with one another so that we can say, these are my people. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and Moses, these are all my people. This is my family. This is one house of God. And God made them wait for me. And I have been grafted into them and joined with them into one household. And we need each other. They needed us to come before God would give them all in the fullness of it he had promised. And we needed them at the very least to go before us to show us the way of faith and trust. And especially we need the communion of the saints in faith, the body of Christ together we need it when we face our own sufferings as many of you could attest it has been a brother or a sister in this congregation who came alongside you in suffering who lifted you up who helped you through these people who had these successes and these trials i belong to them i'm not alone you're not alone we're together in these things let others then in the body of christ know your sorrows and sufferings don't hide them from each other share them find I understand trusted people to pour out your care so that we can share the load together so that we can bear one another's burdens together so that we can help one another know we're not crazy that we're having such a difficult time as a believer That it's possible, in fact, to be loved by God, saved by God, and suffer for God all at the same time. And so together, in the communion of this society of faith, we can wait together for the resurrection when death itself will be undone. May the Lord help us do so. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this world of sin and misery is not all that there is, yet much more awaits us uh, with you in glory to come. Build us up in that hope. May that hope help us to endure by your strength in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.